All right. Well, good morning. Uh, anyone here a Bruce Lee fan? Yeah, right. Uh, for those of you who don't know who Bruce Lee is, basically everyone who is on this stage, um, he's the guy that we get the whoa from, all right? Uh, he, is, he is the dude who made it famous, uh, a uh, famous guy. I found this clip of him that I want you to see of him playing ping pong. Just watch this real quick. I mean, come on. Am I right? Um, and that's why you go to college. Uh, all right, kiddos. I mean, isn't that awesome? It is fast. It's impressive. It's fun to watch. It's also totally fake. It's not even real. Right? It's, some, it's from a Nokia commercial of them advertising a special edition Bruce Lee phone. Now, that wasn't even Bruce Lee. It was filmed years after his death. Right? And so why mention this? Well, because anything can deceive us these days, right? I mean, goodness, compare Return of the Jedi to The Last Jedi, right? And just the differences in CGI and, and all that we have with that. I mean, everything is, is, has the ability to deceive us. Your mind can be deceived. Your eyes can be deceived. Your feelings can be deceived. Your heart can be deceived. Your news sources can deceive you. Amen. And so we're in this series called Help My Unbelief, and we've been wrestling with faith. What is real? What is true? What do I really accept in my heart? How do I test and approve these things? And today we wrap up the series talking about a man that needed to see Jesus, the risen Jesus, before he believed. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to John chapter 20. We're going to be in there this morning but even as I'm going there, right, this is one of the most famous uh, doubters in the Bible. And I just say that, I, just fill in the blank, Doubting Thomas, right? We all know him as Doubting Thomas, which isn't that, that's a shame, right? Like, could you imagine, like, this one moment in his life of wanting to doubt, right? That'd be like, and then for, for a millennia, right, like, that's his name. That's how everyone knows him. No one knows him for much else other than, oh, Doubting Thomas. And for ages, right, billions and billions of people are only going to know him as Doubting Thomas, right? They'd be like, you know, me, mediocre Mark, you know? <laughs> that's it. It's stuck. And for thousands of years, well beyond you and anything else they ever knew about all your glory, right, that's it, right? Silly Scott, boom, done, that's it. That's the only thing everyone will ever know about you for the rest of history, okay? And that's, they just got this bad rap, poor, poor Thomas. But today what I want to do is I want to work down this story and unpack who Thomas really was and, 
and unpack how we might find ourselves in the story. And I don't really have like three points or anything like that. It's, I just want to like walk down, have some observations as we go along, and then, and then we'll wrap up here this morning. So uh, let me pray for us, and, and we'll jump in and start reading. Father, um, there is no hope here this morning aside from you. We require the holy act of the Holy Spirit coming in and penetrating our hardened hearts with the truth and the grace of Jesus. We rely on this this morning. There is no hope here without that, that we have nothing to offer you. Honestly, I have nothing to offer, God, apart from your word and your spirit working in the heart of women and the men gathered in here this morning. And so that's our prayer. And God, for the searcher, for the seeker here this morning, I pray that you would just overwhelm them with the reality of you. Encourage all of us, God, in the knowledge and the grace of your son, Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right. Verse 19 here in chapter 20 of John. On evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked were the... Hold on. First day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. All right, so evening of what day? This is Easter Sunday. This is on, we're picking up the story here on Easter Sunday. Jesus is just, they found out, oh no, the grave, there's no body in the grave. And the angels come and talk to the women. And so now the disciples, they go like this. Well, why do they do that? And why are they specifically afraid of the Jews? Well, we know because in Matthew's account, it tells us exactly why. Uh, in Matthew 28, it says, while they were going, Behold, some of the guards, this is when the guard found out that the tomb was empty while the guards were going uh, to tell the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers, bribing them, right? And said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And so the guards and the chief priests are like, oh no, what do we do about this? I know, go start telling everybody that the disciples stole the body. And so, yeah, so the disciples are terrified. Right? This, would have been, this would have outraged the Jews to hear this. They stole a body, right? and it had been a serious crime in that day. And if you're like me, maybe you're curious, what is the crime for that today? Uh, I looked and I found out, because that's where your tithe dollars go. They go to me Googling things like this, okay? Um, right, I found out it is a $10,000 fine and up to two years in prison. All right, so that's the Also, Rob, if you're curious why my Google history has punishment for stealing a dead body, now you know. Uh, Sarah and I are fine. Uh, we're all good. Okay, but sometimes pastor has to Google weird things like that. Um, anyhow, she's not here today too, which is strange. Um, she's, <laughs> she, she, Liv had a fever. All right, you don't judge me, okay? Um, y'all are a mess. The decide, she's at home, all right? She's at home. Uh, okay, I digress. Um, the disciples were locked in a room. They're trying to figure out what they're going to do. Like, hey, everyone's starting to say this about us, right? And so Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you, right? They were already scared, and now a guy that they knew was dead is among them. I like how the Bible says, it's not like he, boom, what's up, guys? Right, it says, all of a sudden, Jesus was just among them. You know, like when you're like looking over a paper, like, yeah, and then someone comes over and says, oh, yeah, I see that too. Whoa, right? Like he was just... Hey, dudes, I'm here. They just, peace be with you. Why? Because they're all freaking out, right? They were already scared. Jesus has to speak to calm them. 
And when, they had said, and when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, where the spirit had gone in. But then the disciples were glad when they had seen the Lord. The order of these events is interesting to me. Right? He shows them the wounds, then they're glad to see the Lord. He shows them the wounds, then they're glad to see the Lord. What's with the wounds? Because without the wounds, there's still uncertainty around his death. Is this Jesus' twin brother? Is he a ghost? Or was the crucifixion just a host and the guards were pretending? And, and what's going on with all this? Was this all a fake? The disciples see the wounds and then they know, Jesus, you are who you said you are. This is why the wounds were so important. This has all been true. I mean, you have to appreciate this moment for these guys. Right? They've been walking for years with the Lord and all this going on. And then this whole crazy week filled of betrayal and last suppers and Good Friday and torture and being whipped and then watching him die and he's dead for days and days. And then there's freaking out. They don't know what to do. Now, all of a sudden, in one moment, it's all confirmed. Just, just like that. And they know we weren't crazy. It was true. This is when they finally see it, when they finally get it. He definitely died, and he definitely rose, and he's definitely Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. You notice he has to say it again. Some people say that he had to say it the first time to still their fear, and the second time to still their joy. And as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. This is a little confusing, right? This is what we call apostolic authority, which is another sermon for another day. But essentially, he's commissioning them. He's giving them an authority, a kind of authority that was unique to the apostles. And now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Like, where was he? <laughs> like, he's the only one. So the other ten are all hanging out, but this is one, right? Because Judas is out of this mix. And we don't really know. We're not given any clues. But we could at least speculate, based off of his future response here, of what was going on in his heart, that he was absolutely troubled. I mean, nine chapters earlier, Jesus says, hey, I'm going to go raise Lazarus. And, 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 and uh, Thomas takes this as, oh, he's going to go near Jerusalem. He's going to, like, finally go up against the, the, uh, the Roman authority and occupation. He's, and he says, let us, and he tells all the other apostles, let's all go with them so that we may all die with the Lord. That's what Thomas says just nine chapters ago. Right, he is zealous. I mean, he's ready to put his money where his mouth is. But then Jesus goes alone on that hill and did things that Thomas couldn't do for himself and things went how Thomas didn't expect, and then he died, and Thomas is just left without the Savior and the friend that he committed his life to. And this is one reason that I think I connect with Thomas so well, because Thomas was devout, and he believed, but then, man, circumstances hit, and he just finds himself disillusioned in his faith. I don't think a lot of us in this room, there might be a few of us, but I don't think a lot of us in the room, I don't think our stories are, we're just wild atheists and we have this total secular life in mind. I think for most of us, our journey is just disillusionment. Is every now and then the faith leak just gets too big 
And we don't really even know how we got there. It's just, man, we turn around one day and we're like, what is my faith? And we kind of have this crisis of faith, but there's this slow trickle and, and all this. This is why I love talking to me. It goes from devout to just disillusion. He's just simply unsure. He doesn't know what to make of it. And to make matters worse, the disciples tell him that they've seen Jesus. Could you imagine? Like, you're the one dude. I mean, imagine the, the right, this says it. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. <laughs> they didn't say it like that. They said, we've seen the Lord, right? They're all excited. But you could you imagine Thomas, like the FOMO, you know? Like, man, y'all were all hanging out, and Jesus came to y'all, and I was just like over, I don't know what he would eat in the day, you know, bread. And, and it's just like nothing, nothing happened, nothing for him. And so Thomas said to them, unless I see his hands in the mark of the nails, the place, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side. Oh, man. I just realized something about this I've never seen. Maybe I'll get to it later. And place my hand into his side. I will never believe. Unless I stick my hand in his wounds, I will never believe. Not, I'll struggle with my faith, I'm making this out. He is all in or all out. Unless this happens, I'm done. Yes, I, saw, I, mean, can you, I mean, for a minute here, he got to see Jesus raise people from the dead. He was part of, where well, I'm still handing out this bread, and holy smokes, where's all this going? 12 baskets? What's going on? Cast my net over on this side? Jesus, you're crazy. What are you talking about? Oh, Thomas is a part of all this stuff. But he's not going to get past this unless he sees a risen Jesus. I will never believe. Man, you thought you were stubborn. He said you would have to do the impossible. Lucky for Thomas, we have a God who's in the business of doing impossible things. Amen? Eight days later, the disciples were inside again. And Thomas was with them. Man, I love this verse. Right? Eight days. Eight long days. We've seen the Lord. Thomas is like, awesome. Cool. Um, like any day now, right? Because it happened the, like Easter. He'd risen, right? And on that day, he appeared to the disciples. So Thomas probably thinking, great, this is like, he's just around now. This is cool. Eight days of sleepless wondering. Uh, Peter, you can be a little jumpy sometimes. You sure? Lord, did you not want me to be an apostle? What is my calling? Eight long days to mull over the doubt and the anxiety of this new reality. The fear that it had all been a lie and that you gave your life over to some fake cause. That's where he's wrestling these eight days. But here's what's interesting thing. Here's an interesting thing about Thomas. He's now with disciples, right? Get this. In the heart of his struggle, he did not remove himself from the possibility of finding truth. He went into where he figured the truth might be found. Right? In the heat and in the heart of all of the angst that's going on with him, I will never believe unless this. Okay, if, if y'all saw him, fine. I'll hang out with y'all and just see how this all washes out. What he didn't do was say, no, that's all debunked. I'm out, I quit, I'm done. What Thomas did is he struggled with honesty. He doubted honestly. 
And this is a case, this is a great example for us. And it's also worth noting that the disciples did not despise him or reject him in his wandering. Y'all see that? People of God, we need to pay attention. (laughs) There is room among us to wrestle in wonder if this is all true. There's room in this room for questions and searching like this. People around you are searching. And we are called as the people of God to be gracious in their search, not judgmental, certainly not resentful. Oh, they don't believe. Are you serious? Where do you think you were when Jesus reached down and drug you out of the mire? Praise God that people come here to search and to wonder and sometimes to do it for much longer than eight days. You may have a child who's 25 and still wondering. Man, and you pray, I'll just, you keep praying for that kiddo. You never know. You never know. Do not despise the wandering. I remember, I just thought of this. Uh, uh, I remember when I, I think I was in seventh or eighth grade and we were, we were setting up the Christmas tree and I remember turning over to my mom and saying, mom, I'm not really sure I believe all this. I'll never forget it. And she turned and she looked at me and and this is usually when I've been like, oh, here it comes, you know? And she said, you know, that's a really brave thing to say. I'll never forget that. She said, it's a really brave thing to say. And she helped me. She said, tell you what. And so she set me up a a meeting with Deacon Ham, who gave me baseball cards. It was awesome. Um, Right? And so I went and I sat in his office and I just got to mull over all these questions. My mom didn't necessarily feel like she was totally equipped for all the questions of an eighth grader, you know, whatever. And even if she had been, she said, you know what, I'm going to get you connected. And she helped me with that. She didn't despise my wonder. She said, well, that's a shame. She said, you know what, let's, let's deal with that. Let's deal with that. Also, if you are going to doubt, doubt honestly. And what do I mean by that? Thomas didn't just say that he didn't have the answer but he was still looking for the answer. He still went on the journey, even though he wasn't there. I'm never going to believe unless all this happens, right? He still went on it. He was still hanging around the guys that claimed to have faith. So if when you doubt, don't be content with your disbelief. And don't encourage others to be content in theirs. Search. I feel like most searching for the average person these days is to have their busy life to go about their things and wait and see how Jesus will just interrupt all of that with some kind of irrefutable miracle or sign. And that somehow that will be the thing that produces faith in you. That's not searching. That's just disobedience. And can I tell you, you don't actually want that from God anyways. If that's your goal, you're just going to go live your life of all of this mess and wander. And, and man, if God is real, then he'll, he'll come in and interrupt all that with something. I can tell you, typically those stories just end in rock bottom, and that's when you learn those things. But we don't really want that interaction from God. You're like, yeah, I do. Well, let me tell you why you don't. Imagine, imagine this, right? Sarah and I going to high school together, which is true. And I see her, and I tell her, after we're both 18, I suppose. Uh, you love me. Here's a ring. But I don't say you love, I say you do love me. I'm like saying it for her. You love me. Here's a ring. Also, I know we just met, uh, but I've already run this by your parents. 
I've got a meeting with the Justice of the Peace, right? They're going to hand us this marriage certificate. It's going to all be official. It's going to be great. Uh, and we're going to get married. I'll provide for you. Don't you worry, girl. All right? I'm going to be in church for my whole life. So basically, you're signing up for a life of borderline bankruptcy and, uh, you know, and playing second chair to my whole church your whole life. How do you that sound? You, you good with this? All right? Also, I don't really care about what you think. Uh, we're just going to sign on for this. I'm glad. All right? It's pretty much a done deal. Don't worry about it. You just got to go with the motion. It's going to be great, right? So imagine that or imagine this. Sarah and I are going to high school together, which we did, and then I see her. And then two years later, she sees me. <laughs> also true. Uh, <laughs> all right? I don't know how she missed this. Um, but um, now I know why I don't preach a lot. Um, all right. She and I start going to youth group together. All right? And I join choir my senior year because that's how committed I was to hanging out with her. All right, I joined choir, right? And we start spending time together, right? We start dating. I learn her, she learns me. And six years later, I break up with her because I'm a moron, all right? And I move to Houston. And then six years later, I move back and we date again. And I propose to her. And after a long list of things, that she had to forgive me for, of new things and new realities, she still chose me and said yes. Knowing all the broken things I brought to the table, she said yes. That is a journey. That is the searching. That produces a real kind of faith that now when I lie awake you know, in my bed at night wondering, does she love me? I know she does. Because she had to get over a lot of stuff to even say yes to this relationship. That's what you want in your walk with God. If what you want from God is some undeniable sign that just takes away all doubt, what you are asking him to do is force faith upon you. That's what you're asking for. And it's not in his nature to do this. Because if you saw the undeniable sign, it would be undeniable. We wouldn't even call that faith anymore. Because you've seen it. That doesn't require faith. That's not faith. If you saw Jesus manifest and come from the sky or come down and heal just that thing in you and show you some sign, you would have no choice but to believe. So God, in his love, gives people the opportunity to reject him. You get that? You understand that places like hell exist because he loves us so much that he's willing to let us choose that. I mean, I know that sounds really counterintuitive. I know a lot of people would look at that and they would think, oh, that's just, that's just an act of hateful judgment. It's not. It's an act of love that he gives you the ability to think for yourself, to encounter his grace and say, yes this, that, to journey with it. He loves you this much that he gives you the opportunity to search and accept his grace or reject it. You don't want a God that forces it on you. You don't want that. Because then it's not real love, right? It's not really love when you have to tell them, will you please empty the dishwasher? Will you please empty the, will you please take out the trash? But man, when they do it without you asking, oh gosh, it's like, girl, right? That's love. 
and it's something different. You weren't created to be a robot. God's not interested in that. I mean, is that what you would think he would be? I mean, imagine, like, what would be the point? God created all of this, and now he's going to force faith upon all of his people. I know you think you want that, but really, friends, in your heart, you don't. God created you in his image, a creative, a being, for relationship, not for robotics. He will not force faith upon you. That is an act of love. God desires your faith, but he will not force it upon you. And so search, but search with honesty. And be open to the answer you get. Don't search for faith like my five-year-old searches for her shoes, all right? right, Sitting there, hey, I told you, go get your shoes. I already looked. No, you didn't. You're still on the bench from when I told you to go get your shoes. I don't want to go. Right? Don't search for faith that way. It's right there. Be satisfied with the answer. Your shoes are right there. I don't want to wear shoes. All right? But if you want to do this, if you want to search, search with honesty. Knowing that, that when you find that answer, and if you find that answer, when you find that answer, when you knock long enough, and you find it, have the honesty there. And at least Thomas knew what he was searching for. Right? He figured out what it was, and he went looking for it. He says, I need to put my hands inside. Okay, y'all saw him. I'm hanging out with y'all. And whatever answer gets, fine, I'm going to be cool with that. But I'm going to hang out. I'm going to search honestly. I'm going to hang out here even though I don't really buy this yet. Do the work of knowing what you doubt. What is your issue? Man, I meet people, I I just met one. We we went to Atlanta as a staff, uh, as an executive team uh, this week. And um, I just sat next to a girl. You know, you just have that sense like, you are totally not you're going to have to ask me what I do for a living, and this is going to be a weird conversation, because like, I just already tell, you know, uh, and, and sure enough, it's like, as soon as she, she found out, and you know, you try to put it off for a while, it's actually like, oh, why are you going to Atlanta, you know, it's like, oh, uh, for a consultation, <laughs> you know, which is true, that's what we were doing, I'm not trying to hide from it, I just want to ease into it, like, figure out what she does, and then later, it, after she realizes I'm not like some weird, you know, creepo, you know, then I can talk about Jesus, stuff like that, well, she's just like, what do you, okay, well, for what company, I'm like, God, did you have to follow up so soon, <laughs> You know, I was like, well, you know, I'm a pastor for Baptist Church. And I don't know if we had another word after, after that, right? And some people are just like that. Uh, and every now and then, I'll be this very rare, every now and then, I'll get people who say, oh, I don't believe in Jesus. And I ask, what do you mean? And they're like, like, like they've never been asked that before. Like, well, what do you mean, what do I mean? You know, I'm like, well, what do you mean? You don't believe in Jesus. Like, you don't believe he existed? Like, oh, well, no, I, I guess he exists. I was like, so you do believe in Jesus? Like, okay, well, you know. It's like, gotcha. <laughs> Stewardess, bring some water. We're going to sprinkle this one. No. Um, do you not believe he existed? Historians can tell you a lot of things about Jesus based off of writings from that era that have nothing to do with the Bible. Right? If you reject the Bible and all this, you can go to, to plenty of other sources in, in history or, or politicians from that area, historians, right? And you can, you, can, you can find a lot of things that history corroborates. Even, even without, if you just deny all this stuff, these are things that we can find, right? We know this. This man existed and his name was indeed Jesus. The place and time frame of his public ministry, we can, we, can, uh, we can know and account, right? Galilee, Judea. And we know that it was around the time of Pontius Pilate, somewhere around like 26, 32 AD. We know this. And that his mother's name was Mary. We also can verify the ambiguous nature of his birth, the name of one of his brothers, James. 
He was uh, famous as a teacher. His fame as a miracle worker, or some said sorcerer. The attribution of him to the title Messiah, or Christ. His kingly status in the eyes of some. The time and manner of his execution. We know that it was crucifixion. That was around the time of Passover. The involvement of both the Roman and Jewish leadership in his death. The coincidence of an eclipse at the time of his crucifixion. The report of Jesus' appearances to the followers after his death. And there's some debated stuff around Josephus' writings, who was a Jew at the time, that say also, and uh, this is a little debated, but still not debated by most, just debated by some, that there was a flourishing of the movement right after these events. And you don't have to be a follower of Jesus to believe these things. These are recounted by non-believing scribes and politicians of that time as part of history. That's just what we know of Jesus. To doubt these is a failure not in faith, but in intellectual honesty. Search, but be open to the answers you find. So Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them again and said, Peace be with you. And he turned to Thomas and said, Shame on you for doubting. No. That's not what he said. He said, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, you have believed because you have seen me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. You know what's interesting? It never says that Thomas touched the wounds. Many commentators believe that he never did. But the appearance was so powerful and so humbling that he couldn't help but have faith in his Lord Jesus. Because Jesus' faithfulness is greater than your faithlessness. And although Thomas didn't know where to find Jesus, Jesus knew exactly where to go to encounter his apostle. And the doubts did not scare Jesus off. And it didn't even disqualify Thomas from relationship with him or his own apostleship of what we believe him going into India and being one of the primary carriers of the gospel to all of India. There's still people from that day that can track their whole heritage back to, back to Thomas being there. And it didn't disqualify him from all this. I mean, imagine this room, right? Who, I mean, who's this room full of? Right? All these guys are terrified, right? They've all been scared. They certainly were not out boldly sharing with the people, right? For eight, this is like day eight. They're still like locked in this room, right? They're not these guys out, y'all all need to know about the resurrection, right? That's not where we see these guys, right? They're still scared in this room, yet they see this risen Christ. And in this context of them being scared, Jesus commissions them as the great hope for the gospel of himself. All this doubt, all this all this denial, all this faithlessness, 
Y'all are going to be my people. I'm going to send you out. And, and we get it because in, in the same interaction, the same room, we hear the commission, which is our mission statement as a church. Back in Matthew 28, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And you know they believed it then. He commissions the scared, the doubters, the deniers. In the next 1,600 years, this will become the dominant worldview across the entire planet. And we have enlightenment things creeping in and all that mess and secularism, and so we're into competing here. But this is still the most printed and translated words to ever exist. Are these words in the scriptures? Why did Jesus want these guys to do this? And why commission, like, what, like what's the goal? Why do, and, and sending them out and all this, I love how this chapter closes. It literally closes, there's, the, there's like a phrase, if you're looking at a Bible right now, it might say, the purpose of this book <laughs> is, is, the, is the title of this little section, this next little two verses, and it says this. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Question, how's your faith? Can I tell you this too? And um, Oh man, I have a story. I don't have time. I'll save it for another sermon. Uh, how much faith? Right? Like, how much faith does it take? There's a story in, uh, God, let me pivot, uh, in, uh, in Judges with Gideon. And God is calling him to something. And Gideon's like, you know what I need you to do? I don't, know, I don't, know, I don't believe all this. You have to do something with this fleece over here. And, and God does it. And he's like, mm, I don't know. And he has to do something else with the fleece. And he goes back and forth. Gideon doesn't believe all this mess. And even when Gideon finally decides to do the thing that God has called him to do, when he finally decides, he, he does it at night so that no one will see. God had called him to do it this way, but Gideon is terrified. He's not quite sure this is the whole thing. What God wanted him to do was tear down his father's idols right in the town. That's what God had called him to do, and Gideon, and like to be this big, bold move, and what Gideon does is, he's terrified, he's scared, his faith isn't there, but he's just like, okay, I'll do it under the cover of night, and so he goes and he does it, right, he tears it down, and he sheepishly comes back, and you know what God does? He takes that. He says, you know what? That little act of faith, that little act of obedience, I can work with that. How much faith? This much. That's the beauty about following Jesus. You can have just this little piece. You may think, I'm not there yet because I need all of this. I have to have it all figured out. You don't. You don't. You just take what little faith you have and you offer that, you submit that to the Lord Jesus and I promise you he will take that and he will run with that and you will know what it's like to search for, know, and find salvation in the name of Jesus. You just need this much. 
You don't have to perfect it. You don't have to figure it all out. You just come before him. And can I tell you, if you're in here and you're doubting, the best thing you can do is just come before him and say, God, I don't know if I believe you. I don't know how I feel about saying that. And I've prayed these prayers, friends. And I don't know what that means. I don't know how to unpack that. But I just need you to know, like, I don't know where I stand. God, I want you to fix that. If you doubt, have you ever prayed? I mean, sometimes I think you think, well, I can't, I can't approach the person I'm doubting. You absolutely can. Search. Search with honesty. And come to see and experience that Jesus is, man, he's just there. He's ready. He's willing. And salvation is found in these things were written that you may know, that you may know that Jesus is the Son of God and that indeed he has risen from the dead. Why? That you might live in glory with him in eternity one day. Amen? Watch, I'll stand up this morning and we'll pray out. Father, a lot of different journeys in this room here this morning. And, and Lord, we know, we just know, not everyone in here would call you Lord yet. that maybe there's people in here that they really need to figure out that one thing. God, would you honor that in them? Would you turn that wandering heart to yourself? Would you take them on a journey to search and not find but be found? Lord, would you take them on a journey that just lets them get over themselves? over some of the, the arrogant things that maybe they hold on to that they don't even, they're not in, maybe even doing it intentionally. They just, man, they just need a chance, God. And so for that heart that beckons out for you here this morning, would you speak tenderly to them? Would you romance them back to yourself, God? For we were all lost, yet all found in you. And so encourage the faithless with your faithfulness, God. Chase after them. And when you redeem them, redeem them fully, not with some, some bogus plan B, God, but with the plan A for their life, of whatever wandering they think has taken them so far from you that they can't be found from you, God, would you put them back on solid ground? Reinstate them in a calling to be yours. Give us the gift of faith, God. And so we submit these things to you. We submit our doubts to you. We submit our insecurities to you, our anxieties, our faithlessness. God, they're yours. Who else would we give them to? So now work in and among us, God. Encourage us. And specifically, God, for our seniors going out, encourage them in faith, God. And when they start to wander, then bring someone alongside them to guide them, to help them. So Father, we love you. And in this place, we give you glory. And give boldness to the person in here that, that feels like they are teetering on the edge of belief here. To come and have a conversation to take some steps of accepting who you are, Father. I pray for boldness for them to not just take this and sink it deep in a heart and walk out here and not do anything about it, God, but 
but to start a conversation. And if that is you in this room, I would love to talk with you. So Father, again, we love you. Do what you want here this morning. It's in this precious name we pray. Amen. Tomorrow, we give away the rest of the spots for camp. If you are not signed up, get on it because it's going, okay? Uh, love y'all. Would y'all go today with the Lord's blessing? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. Be gracious unto you. Would the Lord look upon you with his favor and grant to you his everlasting peace. Amen? We'll see y'all next week.